When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm Callahan, a.k.a. Agent Impulse. (laughs) And I'm Sage, a.k.a. Agent Grapeshot. And together, we're we're, we're never going to get this right. (laughs) We're never going to get this. And together, we're... Nico's Angels. Nico's Angels. (laughs) Hell yeah. Fucking professionals. Let's go. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Nico's Angels. I am your host, Callahan, like I said, at the top of the show. And again, uh, joining us is our co-host, Sage. Sage, how are you doing today? I'm fantastic. I've actually just picked up my set booster box of Innistrad Midnight Hunt, oh. which I'm staring at, and we'll continue to stare at until we're done recording so I can crack those packs. Can we, before we introduce our guests and talk about you know today's subject, I just need to say... Everybody who has been cracking packs this weekend um, without me and opening those full art black basic lands, I I hate it. They're Mm. so gorgeous. I little ASMR. Oh my gosh. Are you for those of you (laughs) at home, because this is an audio podcast, you can't see Sage is over there just teasing me with a pack, which is so not cool. (laughs) I hate to tell you that. Oh, my goodness. goodness. We have two fantastic guests joining us today. But before we get into all of that, I just want to remind you, uh, if you want to support us on Patreon, you want to help out the Sculpty Boys, you want to help out uh, all the stuff that we do here on the channel, whether that's gameplay, whether that's stuff like uh, the MLC we did earlier this year. Uh, You can head on over to the Patreon and uh, subscribe there. You also get access to our Discord channel. And uh, that's where you can hang out with Sage, me, Pongo, Cobblepot, all those guys. We're always in there. We're always talking. We're always brewing. We're always hanging out. Um, And uh, Phoenix is always over there dropping spoilers because we live in perpetual hype. So (laughs) uh, our two guests for today are uh, two really awesome people within the community. Uh, First, one of our friends here from the CEDH community is Alex, also known as Hire. Hire, how are you doing today? Doing good. So happy to be here with you I, all today. I love hanging out with Hire, and I'm so excited that I get to do something with you, finally. Um, yes. And you host the Late Night Podcast with uh, fellow Sculpty Boy, Scoots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Scoots and, and Deke. Deke. Ah, oh, they're just wonderful humans. Oh, I can't get seriously. Where? Uh, how often do you do that? That's like, what is it? Once every how often? Uh, it's pretty infrequent. Uh, <laughs> I would say maybe t- twice a month. I okay. would say we release content. Um, we actually just recorded our first gameplay Ooh, footage. That's today. exciting. I'm really excited. That's about super that. exciting. Yes. Oh, 
Nice. So many spicy things happen. You guys are all great players. You all played in the MLC, and you all are just excellent people to boot, so that helps. Yes. Oh, gosh. Can't get enough of that. Um, Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we do the um, Late Nights podcast, and um, overall just play a lot of Magic and brew a lot of decks. It's pretty much what I do. That's how the cookie crumbles, as they say, right? That's probably the wrong euphemism, but I'm sticking with it. Also joining us today is uh, Double Down uh, Norden, also known as Werewolf Feels from Twitter, the writer for Shang-Chi Blood in the Banquet Hall, also from the Missing Annie Lee podcast. Uh, How are you doing today, bud? I am doing great. I cannot wait to get into this. I'm so excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure having you on. Uh, Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure being here. (laughs) So we're having you guys on today because uh, one of the things that we've been talking about, uh, we talked about in our first episode, we're going to be talking about more is uh, diversity in gaming. And uh, our first episode, we really, if you go back and watch that, uh, we talked a lot about it through the lens of Magic the Gathering, uh, because that's how Sage and I know each other. Right. Um, But we also wanted to touch on other things that, you know, us as two white people are not super qualified to talk about. Um, And so today we're going to be talking about some major problematic tropes we see uh, in gaming uh, and specifically in creatures throughout gaming industry. How do we identify them and what do we do about them? So I think probably the best place to start, and I would say uh, Norton is what are what are tropes and what are what are what are we talking about with these? Well, uh, a trope is a common sort of stereotype or archetype uh, when talking about a specific thing. So, like um, the trope that all girlfriends of superheroes have red hair—that's a common trope. Um, whether they're good or bad. Uh, Tropes are common through our writing for a reason. They help. They basically help uh, shortcut some explanation. So you no longer have to get into all that detail about what exactly is happening and you can get to whatever else you want to do. Um, so you especially see a lot of tropes common in board gaming and tabletop because you need to present an idea to your audience right away so they can use it effectively. You don't have time to get into pages and pages of why a werewolf acts the way it does mm-hmm. in magic or why uh, a vampire does this in, um, in like D and D for example. Uh, why is it important to talk about them? Because unfortunately a lot of tropes were invented at a time where uh, a lot more, a lot of things that we want to get out of gaming right. are common. Um, so some of them can be extremely hurtful. Others extremely dangerous. Uh, and it's important to analyze them as we continue on, reassess them, toss out the bad ones, keep the good ones and develop new ones along the way. I had never thought about the um, this is a totally docile one, but you mentioned the all superhero uh, girlfriends have red hair. And I immediately was like, Lois Lane doesn't have red hair. And I like Googled it. And sure enough, she doesn't have red hair in the comics, but they cast Amy Adams with red hair as Superman's girlfriend in the in the I I feel stood up yep. right now. I'm offended. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I feel lied to. <laughs> um, so 
when we talk about some of the tropes um, and when we really look about it around the, you know, because Norton, you do a lot in uh, writing with RPGs, right? Um, so -hmm. when we talk about tropes, like specifically around like race, um, what are the tropes that we generally see and kind of the problems within them? Oh dear. Uh, Let's unpack that. (laughs) All right. Where do we begin? (laughs) (laughs) Let's uh, just grab a notebook and uh, then the second notebook and the third. Well, Genetic determinism is one of them. So the idea that your genetics determine who you are and thus what you will do. Uh, You see that in some monsters, especially. Um, So even like something where instead of biting, you turn to werewolf because of genetics. That's that's an example of genetic Mm -hmm. determinism. Um, Monolithic cultures is another thing where all types of a thing act the same um, because they are the same. And when it comes to how these often are represented, usually an exotic culture is used as the short term, the, 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 the shortcut to explaining how this culture interacts. Um, so it's not just monolithic, it's monolithic and monocultural, and that culture is coming from a real world culture. Uh, and then we got the, the very obvious one, um, the value... It's different skin tones and different monsters with different kinds of skin tones are valued mm-hmm. differently. Um, you actually do see this a lot when it comes to art, especially where, uh, a villainous character may have a darker skin tone than a lighter skin character, even if they're this, both the same quote unquote mm-hmm. monster. Um, so it's like, there's a big range, uh, skin tones also like, um, the depiction of vampires really comes into it when it comes to skin tones, because, mm. uh, the, the idea that people get extremely pale when they die is a very um it's called palace mortis and it's kind of a uh a thing that happens to lighter skin mm-hmm. people darker skin people don't necessarily undergo it in the same way because what happens is when you die you fall onto one side or onto your back or onto your face the place that you have not fallen onto pales technically um because the blood is now pooled at where the face or where the blood basically mm-hmm. gravity Palace mortis is gravity. Mm-hmm. Blood pools into a place. You end up with various bruises on one side and on the other side, you end up paler. The thing is, though, if your if your skin color is not too determined by blood, i.e. if your red is not your undertone, pink is not your undertone, then what you end up looking is uh, a bit cooler, not necessarily whiter. Um, and that common misconception actually ends up into a lot of depictions of vampires. You get some really... Like a person dies, a person of color dies, turns into a vampire. Suddenly they are four shades paler than they should be. <laughs> and it's, it's weird. It's sometimes like there is a slight lightning, but it's not to the degree right. it's often depicted as. Because when you're a person of color, it's melanin that is providing a lot of that front tone to make your skin darker. So <laughs> blood draining from the face isn't going to change that so right. dramatically. I think yeah. definitely part of that, too, is I think for particularly for a visual medium of movies of 
people who are creating movies of not exactly trusting that their audience will understand that the person is now turned into a vampire unless they're four shades lighter, which and so and that sort of continues to feed into this perception, uh, like misconception and perception that like this is a common thing that happens. And yeah, mm-hmm. well, and mm-hmm. there's also the element, too, with people in in movies when they're doing like um, whatever effects or makeup it is, it's like, oh, well, people don't care. Right. Like as long as it looks cool or something like that, like they don't care and they might not see the effects of that, if that makes sense, if that's fair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got right in my mind. I just got shaken a little bit because I thought about the Lion King and I was like, Scar and Mufasa are brothers Mm -hmm. and Scar is darker. Mm -hmm. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) it's so common, right? It's inescapable. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and well, well, if you look at D and D too, the thing is like the you know the high elves are the elves who are like they are described as having a lily white or alabaster complexion. Um, they and like in elves also having this very like monolithic culture of being like these high artisans who are in touch with nature and magic and you know the sort of very ephemeral beings. And then you have the drow who are evil and they're enslaved by this evil spider goddess and they have dark skin and they have and then they have the whole trope of like dark skin white hair and it's like it's just so much to unpack <laughs> so when when yeah. you look at things like that because that's stuff that's been coded into D from like book one right um where does a lot of that come from right like that comes from somewhere did I just ask a big J. question? <laughs> I was gonna say like, that's a lot. Like I feel like you have to unpack so many. How much time you got? <laughs> I think the thing that like real like for really for modern fantasy, it really a lot of it boils down to Tolkien, which is a whole thing. And and he has famously described orcs as being, you know, these sort of motorcycles. Uh, has famously orcs described orcs motorcycles. Got it. Orcs you got it here. Orcs <laughs> are motorcycles, and hobbits have milk. You heard it here first. Oh dear. Oh my god. Um, there, no, there is only one Tolkien. person that reference was for specifically Sage, and like maybe three people. I sent that video to for what it's worth. By the way. <laughs> It's a very good TikTok. Um, yeah, <laughs> Tolkien very famously describes orcs as being like these piggish monsters who are brutes, who are like illiterate and, you know, and and savage of very specifically of using that word and all of, you know, that brings up. And what like and so a lot of modern fantasy comes from this sort of lineage and where Tolkien gets us is this huge snowball of like Eurocentric imperialism mm-hmm. and like colonialism of, you know, viewing, of valuing, you know, certain of valuing certain traits, which, you know, it's we can tie in eugenics and racism and classism like it's oh man <laughs> there's a whole video just on eugenics and magic alone that uh spicy eight racked it um talking about oh, so good talking about yogmoth right um it's just i just watched that the other day a, actually excellent video 
Um, but so when you we talk about this, when we look at D and D, I suppose. Um, so like, I, I forget the names of the guys who made D and D. I know the names of them, but what what are their names? I know Gary Guy. That's right, the big one. So the creators of D and D were very heavily influenced by Tolkien. Yeah, I mean, it was basically intended as a system to like play a a like Lord of the Rings esque campaign right. with their friends. Right. They're also uh, this is something that I I, I I think that a lot of people um kind of forget here. They're also inspired a lot by war gaming, mm-hmm. uh, and in war gaming, <laughs> you have colors not used to represent nationalities, um, and most you know, things in a nationality look the same. They have a visual language mm-hmm. that they share. So they end up, because you're not really depicting cultures, you're depicting armies, they end up feeling a bit monolithic because armies by nature, um, the way we imagine them, especially modern armies, tend to be monolithic. And by modern, I mean anything like Great War onwards. Uh, but even if you go back to the red coats and the blue coats, it's right. a similar thing. So... You know, that shorthand is already being used, um, not in an offensive way, because people wear uniforms. That's a thing. But you take that idea of, of viewing things as monolithic and you translate it. And well, then you start getting into problems. Right. right? Which is why, uh, like a lot of the you know, D&D campaigns, you see a lot of people attacking a monolithic culture. Like these goblins are the bad guys. Destroy them. Or even in two cultures that are depicted relatively similarly, like in a, you're playing one or you're playing the other and you are attacking the other. That's how this works. There's a sense of always being at war, which fuels the idea of treating things as monolithic because war tends to fuel monolithic right. observance. So what are, I guess, examples of games that saw this? And then maybe broke the mold on it. Um, My very probably naive first thought is uh, in Mass Effect 2. Is it where it's the whole thing with the robot race? Um, If I'm if I recall, I I have not played Mass Effect in almost a decade. So bear with me if I cannot remember the names correctly. Um, The Geth. Thank you. The Geth. I need to replay Mass Effect. Uh, but it like what are good examples of games that saw these sort of tropes? Like we know that uh, even Star Trek falls into them and in recent years and has tried to push back against those things. Right. But what are things that are good examples of better ways to handle that? Or do they just not exist? <laughs> It, it's it's funny that you say like better better way to handle tropes because you know Nordic made a really good like example of this like tropes are a really easy way for a large population to right. have an understanding of a unique concept without having to think too hard. So when I think of tropes, yes, in gameplay you are going to see them to make stories because most story all stories are made up of like. I forgot how many tropes there are. There is 32, 36 tropes that exist for storytelling that capture all stories. Um, but I think of I think of playing like MMOs and your starter screen when you go to select a character. 
the majority of the players that you can choose from are, mm-hmm. are white. Right. And like, even like, and even though you can design them and make them whatever you want to look, when you're running through the game, a majority of the players are still white, even though you had the opportunity to change them to blue or red or purple or whatever. Um, and that's just because of what you're presenting with. And the, and this, this divides into a little bit more of, of, uh, of psychology. And this is called the law of recency. Um, you know, what you see most recent is usually what you remember mm-hmm. the most. And so you start with this in, like almost incepted idea that, oh, the white character was first. I should probably make my character be that way, even though you may not actually feel that way. You might want to have a, a red character with awesome sage white hair. Like, you know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, that like that could be a thing. But it's just that's what I in, in, in my mind, what I think of. So when I see games that have starter classes where they're all different, I think that is a great way to break that right. kind of trope. Try to think of games that have done that recently. Um, I, I, the most recent game I've played is Pokemon, so I don't think I'm probably a great person to. I, I don't play a ton of video games anymore. Uh, I don't either. I can't think it's of really the last bummer. game, honestly. Um, because I, I know when I play something like probably one of my favorite uh games like Dragon Age, right? Like they drop you in as a white character. Yep, and Dragon Age is a fantastic game, right? Like a lot of people. Uh, funny you should bring up um, Bioware again because a lot of people point out uh, Mass Effect when they, when they talk about because you know Bioware once in a while does these these many people played mm-hmm. as this this many people played as this and the vast majority play as John Shepard the mm-hmm. male character they don't change the name from John and they use the default appearance and they yep. choose Soldier and those are all the defaults. Those are literally the default. If you play, run the game, it'll ask you first if you want to play John Shepard, that's highlighted, or Jane Shepard. To click through, you just click John. Mm-hmm. The default appearance is the first appearance they chose. It's the, the pre-made appearance as opposed to the one right. you make yourself. He's a white dude. Um, uh, I believe he's uh, based upon a model called Mark Vanderloo. I'm going to say that's correct. Sounds and not incorrect to me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um... Once you click that, it'll ask you for your class, the class, or, or maybe that's before. I don't really know. Uh, but the class that always is highlighted first, soldier. And there you go. There you go. Because, it, yeah, it's that kind of um, recency. It develops into mm-hmm. defaultism. Uh, and defaultism is the main danger of tropes. Because when you have defaultism turned on, so to speak, you get two options. You get the default or you get the one x one so you get like in a good race you get the one evil one or Mm -hmm. in a bad race you get the one good one etc um and once you get into those mindsets it's really hard to break out of them let me let me ask this then so this is so it's mildly off topic i don't think this is off topic we'll see tell me if this is too off topic so you have mass effect where and I, I'm interested to hear your opinions on this, where the game is marketed as all the previews, all, all the stuff on the cover art is John Shepard. That's the character you think of when you think of the Mass Effect trilogy. Um, and so there's you know, a lot of people who default to that, not only because it's the first thing that's on there, but it's also the way they market the game. Right. Um, then you have. For lack of a different game like Skyrim because it continues to get released 10 years later. 
um, where it's first person. Yes, you can create your image. You can do all those things. But at the end of the day, how much does that play into that? Like how much does the it's a third person game and how we market it versus this is a first person game and how we market it play into some of those things. Like marketing certainly has to play a role in that. I mean, you're definitely right, Mark. <laughs> Straight up. Uh, and it says something yeah. that a lot of people choose to market things right. as white, as male, straight. I mean, like Mass Effect specifically markets itself as quite straight. Um, if you look at the uh, the CG mm-hmm. trailers, the human companion that always seems to survive in the ME2 and ME3 tra- like, uh, trailers is, uh, mm-hmm. is Ashley. When you're, because the ma- default is male. If you go to the female trailer... I think that's when Caden shows yeah. up. It's like very default. Uh, I don't know if first person and third person play into it too much. I know as a, a person of color, I do like, I prefer third person and I prefer to see my character. Yeah. Um, and I prefer to see them as a, as a person right. of color as well. It's going to say something, but, <laughs> um, <laughs> but you know, I think really what, it does it's like what's on mm-hmm. the package you know what's what's on the package first or third what's on the package when you see a um, dragon aging right. position i think then you actually did see a lot more people playing as different things because the game trailer depicted a person very like you only see the uh, the game pox depicts them from the back you see them helmeted right. you can't see their face and they're gloved so there's no skin showing they're raising a hand towards the sky. You can't even tell if they're human or elf or even right. maybe dwarf. Not the Cunari. They can't even wear helmets. But <laughs> there are exceptions, I <laughs> <You> suppose. Know, <laughs> once you start opening up the, the room, suddenly people want to play the horse right. race a bit more. <laughs> but like that alone does wonders. It allows people to play more with options. And that's always a good thing because that's what develops interesting story especially because as someone who's written things i don't write options because i don't want you to use them (laughs) really Mm -hmm. no kidding (laughs) i like legitimately if i'm writing something please use it please it's there (laughs) it's there all i'm saying is it's there uh defaultism is the enemy of that because defaultism says there is one way to play this and that seems like an option. I shall not choose that option. I shall choose the default. Even when there's no default present, people will make one in their minds. Um, so if you want to market something, you really have to market outside of that right. box. Otherwise, you end up with people playing one version of a thing. And then all these beautiful options you made, all of this wonderful dialogue you've created, all of these wonderful creatures and species that you made for people to play as, they won't right. choose them. And then so, you wasted right. so much money, man. So much money, so much oh. creative time and effort. <laughs> right. Uh, I was actually about to think of uh, a game that that does break some tropes. Guild Wars Two. Mm. I've never played oh, Guild Wars Two. Play that one. I Guild Wars Two is a very dy- dynamic game. <laughs> Fun uh, fact about Guild Wars Two: I owned yeah. that game, but the PC yeah. I had at the time, when I tried to install it, laughed at me. And said, "You fool! Yeah. <laughs> you think yeah. we can run this?" <laughs> uh, yeah, 
like the 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 uh some of the interesting things about guild wars 2 so thinking about like the the like the the character selection screen like there's a lot of different races specifically in it and no and each race is so unique and is full of a lot of culture and that culture plays into how you play the game and the game has a living story um and you can choose like what you do in the game and like there's no predetermined classes in the game like in like what in like there's no tank healer and like that and damage dealer like anyone mm. can be a damage dealer anyone can be a healer anyone and i really mm-hmm. like that about that game um there it's gonna say it's, it's not perfect like it's gonna have some tropes in it right i can't <laughs> there's no tropeless game i can think of um but that idea of uh being able to capture some of the no like not having a defaultism right. um crutch to lean on i think is really good um and how open the game is i think is really really good but um one thing that popped in my head while you were all talking was i would love to see a character in a game actually have like a non-heteronormative background that'd be really cool i would love to see that like that would be so it would it would all it feels like so extremely novel and that's unfortunate right um but I have yet to see that, and I would love to see that. That'd be great. I think um, something that you brought up of like basically that like you know, you know, Guild of, Guild of Wars too isn't perfect because you know there are going to be tropes, and I think that brings about like a really important point that it's okay to have tropes, but it you should be if you are like if you're writing uh if you're you know if you're running a D and D campaign if you're writing a story it's you have to be very conscientious about what you're including and how you're presenting it because you know just having um like orcs with this uh like genetic determinism or like just having them with this like monolithic culture or just having them like described in this one way like taken separately, you can pick that apart and examine it and you can be like, well, you know, that's not great. But it's especially because in a lot of mediums when they're presented as all three of these things is really where you have these, you know, like really like, you know, problematic uh, behaviors and uh, perpetuation of these like stereotypes and tropes and everything. And I think, you know, if like being conscientious about what you're choosing to include and how you're portraying it, I think is a big major lesson. Um, can I ask a question? That's okay. Yeah. Oh, never mind. He said no. He said, don't do it. <laughs> Callahan just walked right away. Says, no question. questions. Said, <laughs> uh, no. Like, yes. I don't even want to do a podcast anymore. Excuse me. Uh, bye. <laughs> um, at this time, hey, uh, I'm going to show you guys something. Silas, show you folks something. Say hi. <gasps> Can you say hi? Can you wave? No, no. he's going he's gonna to watch bus, Buster the Bus. That's what's keeping him entertained <laughs> while I talk. Um, so, uh, okay, so here's the question. Here's the question. And this is going to seem like a bad question. Why, why is this conversation necessary I mean that's not a bad question at all that is a great question it, it it's weird um, I know the the part about it that is 
so when you're white, right? Like you don't see these things, and that you have to you have you to, have learn, to, to see learn them because it's and yeah yeah this, you have to learn to and, see them. And, and, and here's the other aspect of it too, right? So I grew up in like suburban Ohio. I went to a private Christian school. I thought a very conservative area, right? And it wasn't until I went to college, I started interacting with not just I like I, I think I had one person of color that I knew in my school. And um, we just it, I think that was it. And then the more I got surrounded by it, the more I was like, I, I think of just think about it even outside of the lens of race. I think about it from the lens of um, like LGBT things, right? There were things that I didn't even know about myself until I started being around other people. And I was like, oh, that I words to identify this thing. Right. And it's interesting because there is a large portion of our population who <laughs> don't experience anything other than what is put in front of them. Right. You know, okay, I'm colorblind, so I don't see red and green the same way uh -huh. other people do and certain shades. Completely lost to me. So the way I perceive the world, well, I see a different world than someone who isn't colorblind. Right. I just do, right? And this means sometimes there actually are certain benefits, like um, it's easier for me to see camouflage for oh. what it is, as it turns out, because the way the light bounces off and the way my brain is like trying to interpret the information is very different when um, the material is different because it can't really tell usually the way your cones can with color because they're mutated. Anyway, that was the science thing that doesn't <laughs> need to be explained. But my point is, I don't know what it's like to see the world as someone who mm -hmm. isn't colorblind. I don't. I really, really don't. Um, and someone who isn't colorblind, has no idea what it's like to see the world as I do. And that's just like, it's a way to kind of explain that two people, any two people have very different mm -hmm. perspectives. So if you're making a room for me and you intend for me to walk in um, and I see the world and everything is in red and green against maybe a brown backdrop, I'm probably going to cry because it seems like for some reason you've decided to hate me that day. <laughs> Roughly, that's what we're talking about. The more times we unpack this um, as, as a group, together, as a community, and I just mean like in general, humanity as a community, the more we'll start to uncover the many ways we accidentally paint things red, green, and brown, expecting people can tell them different when some people just can't. And the more times we'll start to understand the different perspectives cause people to experience different things. And that means more people are welcomed mm -hmm. in general. Other aspect is that, yes, tropes are necessary for some stories, but a lot of people use the exact same yeah. tropes. And unless yeah. you unpack that, we're not going to change that. And we're going to get the same stories over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why everyone picks John Shepard and has him marry Liara. And we need, that's a great story. There's so much more to that I game. I was it, not John, I was Jane Shepard. Thank you. 
Nice. She's still married, Liara, but <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> and I, it's, yeah. yeah. I think definitely a part of like of one. Yeah, for one, of course, of like being able to share and communicate about different perspectives. And I think that really just it just edifies uh, storytelling. And, you know, and just because a different story is being told, I think the more that we talk about about different stories, I think because we're in this really interesting place right now in America, we're all sudden a lot of white people are like, oh, shit, it really is shit, isn't it, for people of color? Wow, marginalized populations really do experience <laughs> a fundamentally different reality. And it's like, yeah, people have literally been talking about this for hundreds of years. But all right, great. You're, you're glad getting you're, in the glad party. Glad you've made it. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not exempt from that, obviously, you know. Um, and so I think, and the I think the more that we talk about and share different stories and different perspectives and different realities, and set aside our common these like very common tropes, is the more that we realize that those stories don't hurt us, they don't affect us, and in fact we can learn from those stories and we can find ways to relate to them and just sh- and to share in that experience. You know, just because you know a main character of a story is a completely different, you know, demographic and, and, you know, in race and gender and sexuality doesn't mean you also can't find their story interesting or relatable right. because it's about humans. Right. <laughs> and is there, and I'm, and I'm interested to hear the y'all's opinion on this because something we talked about on our last episode was specifically queer people dealing with, what was it, Sage? It was something along the lines of like queer people always dealing with some traumatic story. Um, this the story is always like the queer story is most often the story of tragedy, of pain. And, and it's just like one big porn of pain mm-hmm. and tragedy and how they have this like transformation. It's like I'm over and that. like <laughs> when we when we look at how that's like, let's look at film for instance, or television, like how often is for people of color, that is the storyline, right? Is like, is that more often in your eyes than it's not where they're just characters or what do you, what are your thoughts on that? I don't know how to talk uh, about that. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think, I, I mean, I think it really just depends on like your perspective. So, like as a as a black man watching mm-hmm. Fresh Prince of Bel Air, right? Um, I would see a lot of things that I I had in common. Like my I didn't know my dad growing up. I, I fit that stereotype mm-hmm. to a, a T, right? But like like to me, like the pain that I feel or felt not knowing my father growing up wasn't that bad. Like it was just something I knew. Like speaking of being colorblind. You know, if you only know a certain world looks a certain way, like for me, I never knew a dad. Like I was like, oh, I didn't know what that meant. What what does that mean? Like, and so the pain that I felt was muted or like it's something I just became accustomed to. But to others was so extreme. Like when when other people watch the Fresh Prince Bell of Air episode, some people might not have watched this, but they should because it's a good show. Um, But when Will's father comes back into his life for like an episode and then he leaves and will says why doesn't he love me and the pain that you feel for a lot of people it's like oh that's sad that's sad for me i was devastated <laughs> i was like why doesn't he love me what? What? Right? and 
but but like that's and my son my son hears me and he's like why why are you crying what's like, wrong <laughs> uh, blessed okay. baby uh, but right but like that's like a big thing that's like oh you know the 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 tragedy and everything is it's really based on your perspective mm-hmm. of what what that tragedy means to you because the pain that you might feel and how you relate to it right. is subjective yeah i mean that brings up like the point do you intend to cause that pain in that population right because for some writers who especially people who who this story you know is common amongst yeah yeah if i'm writing trauma into a story uh, when i wrote for juncture love and banquet hall uh my my specific scenario um because i wrote a scenario for the game is literally what it's like to be muslim after 9 11 that's that's a lot of trauma. Yeah. That's just literally just trauma. Don't get me wrong. There's more to that. There's also stuff in there about family and what it means to stick together rather than tear each other apart. Um, and how people try to weaponize ourselves mm-hmm. against each other. But really, there's a lot of trauma in that story. I intend, for the most part, to allow people to play mm-hmm. through that trauma, which is why it's there. And I, I wrote it so I could process that trauma, which is also why it's there uh from both perspectives yeah completely intentional which is why it's you know okay that i'm using Mm -hmm. that trope or okay that i'm talking about that story because i intend to have that moment of devastation i intend to talk about how awful it is um i know that some people are going to be playing with no perspective on that but the story is designed to remind you about this oppressive nature of the media talking about world, a world war against Muslims, right. for example, like it was intentionally written that way. And even though you're only going to get a fraction of it, you're still going to experience it. No one's going to walk out of that thing. Oh, that was, that's kind of sad. It's sad that that would have happened to those people. Right. So intention really matters here. If I am not being intentional and I'm writing a story about trauma, I'm going to traumatize people unintentionally. Right. No one ever, I mean, I, I don't know about you. I don't really want to do that. I, I think no one wants to do that. It's very interesting you bring up like so. ethereal intent <clears throat> in that and how mm-hmm. important that plays into like the context of it, right? Yep, yep. It, it's, it, it, yeah, ethereal intent doesn't matter to mm-hmm. a certain extent because you can do whatever you want with writing. But it does matter in terms of how that writing is presented. Right. So mm-hmm. well, it comes through I, in your writing, I'm, right? Yeah. yeah, exactly. If I'm intending to traumatize, then I'm writing down stuff that will affect the trauma of multiple people, not just myself. If I'm not, then I'm accidentally traumatizing a very subspecific right. population without knowing. And everyone else is fine, and I intend them to be fine, which means I'm causing right. harm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just trauma. But like, honestly, a lot of this stuff is tied yeah. to trauma, right? Uh, it's intent matters in terms of what your writing does, not how it's used. So, man, we just, we could do the whole episode on this cheese. Um, (laughs) that was kind of the point, (laughs) but when you, when we, we also look at other tropes. So let me, let me shift away from race just a little bit. Um, we look at other tropes and we look at tropes like, ableistic tropes in in gaming and in in culture um what do a lot of those look like and i'll probably throw this one over to hire what what do a lot of those tend to look like 
So people who do not have functional aspects of their person, either physically or mentally, usually have to get those fixed in order to become the hero. Mm-hmm. To be worthy of right? love. Yeah. So, right. Right. So like, um, so I'm, I'm a, I'm an avid reader and there's a, there's a, every book that I've read so far, I have yet to see a, an example of where this doesn't happen. Someone is elderly and becomes young and then saves the world. Or they are, they have, um, they're missing a, a leg and their leg regrows and they save the world. Right. And these ideas that you are broken and you have to be fixed first before you can do anything else. And for me, like that is such a um, hard pill to swallow because you can't be inspirational saying you can change the world as you are, but first you got to fix the problems that are wrong with you because right. there's something wrong with you. And I think for me, like that's like a huge uh, crutch that I think a lot of writers um, lean on to try and uh, make sure that, you know, their, their story can take the, you know, the, the, the path they want it to take um, versus there's a show. Me and my wife is from 2004 oh, I called love Monk. That. Um, right. And Monk is fantastic in the, if, especially if you're looking at for the, from the perspective of he has all these, you know, small issues with the world. Right. But together it's a giant mountain of stuff that he has to process through in order to function. Right. But that is his superpower. That's why mm-hmm. he can do what he does. Um, and like, you see the struggles that he goes through. Um, and like, you see like how heartbreaking it is at at times where like something so important happens, but he just can't let something go. He can't get past a small thing and he knows it's small, but to him, it's the world. Um, and they don't change that about him. And to Mm -hmm. me, that's fantastic. I loved that. Um, I love that show for that reason. Um, but for me, that's what it looks like in media at this time. Really within Um, gaming, Norton, what are the sorts of things that we see very often as far as ableistic tropes. Am I saying that right? Is it ableistic tropes? Is that the right? A- ableist. You don't have to put the okay. IC at the end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's a lot. Um, one of the biggest ones, actually, uh, it's not ableist, but it, it often is depicted as ableist where fat people are evil or mm. gross or like um, how many times have you seen some big enemy and literally they are big and that is why you know they are the enemy uh especially a lot in video games this depiction of of someone who is you know eating constantly and very large and it's just it's supposed to be depicted as grotesque and that's how you know they're a creature they're a monster you kill them and that's the only time you ever see someone with any extra weight in the entire game (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a huge right. common thing. Uh, missing limbs tends to come up when you're looking at cyberpunk or future set things where the more limbs you lose, the more and get replaced with cybernetics, the more monstrous you are because you're slowly losing your attachment, quote unquote, to humanity. Uh, that is terrifying because that dips into mental right. illness too, where this idea that someone... First of all, 
being losing <coughs> being disabled does not necessarily mean that you ha- that there's you know comor- comorbidity. You're not necessarily mentally ill and physically disabled. Those two things are separate. Uh, they can relate, but not always. And it's usually because the world is so ableist, you are driven to depression. But like that's often a commonality too, where. I'm thinking of cyberpunk right now and not just cyberpunk, the video game, but cyberpunk, the tabletop game where cyber psychosis Mm -hmm. is a thing Mm -hmm. because you lose your attachment to reality because of all of your, you know, replacement parts. And a lot of those parts are enforced upon you by a capitalistic majority. It's I, the idea is capitalism creates monsters, but really what it turns into is disabled people being related to Mm -hmm. monsters because disabled people would need those, you know, replacement limbs as well and that's that's a lot to unpack yeah. <laughs> um yeah yeah uh it's it's basically whenever you you, you look into it what, humanity is determined by someone and humanity is you have two eyes you have a nostril with two nose the two nos a, a nose with two nostrils Woof. Uh, two arms, two legs. There's ten little phalanges on your fingers. There's ten little toes on your feet. Um, two ears, etc. So if you want to create a monster, what do you do when you define humanity? So specifically, you take you a, make the monster. Yeah, and you you take all the well. Immediately, the first thing exactly. that uh, jumps to my mind. There's two. Is um, oh, what's his name? The 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 guy from Treasure Planet with the the boot, with the peg leg. Who am I thinking of? Not Treasure Planet, but Treasure. I guess Treasure Planet also works. Um, but in Treasure Island, where the villain has the, I feel so dumb for forgetting this name because it's a very huge like literary character. Um, Were you talking about Captain Hook? Blackbeard? No, 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 no. The Blackbeard. in Treasure Island, the guy who is Jim's mentor. Who had the uh, peg leg and ends up being the villain of the, Yeah. Oh, ends up being the villain? I yeah. feel really dumb for not remembering this. Anyway, that character yeah, and then remember. like Voldemort, yeah. right? From Harry Potter, where how do we make this character look really sinister? Right? You take away the nose. Uh, that wasn't necessarily in the original text, if I remember correctly. It's been a while since I, I don't think it is, books. but like specifically in the movies. Have they used yeah, yeah. that imagery to evoke something? Yeah, yeah. It, but like, I, I, I do think that the, his like, like in the books, uh, that the, his end state doesn't doesn't have the quite dehumanistic features. But his beginning states, a lot of them do, right? He like lived on the back right. of the head of, oh, yeah. of the teacher, and you know, you know what I mean? Like, like he was there. I think there's a lot of that for sure. They definitely oh him, and then he becomes. Humanistic, and the more human, it's crazy because the more human he becomes, the yeah. stronger he becomes, which is really interesting. It's yeah. yeah. Oh, Voldemort's there we really go, really guys. Nice. I remember the name um, character now. It's Long John Silver. I'm really dumb. Oh yeah. I I feel he has a very so, uh, successful chain restaurant. I now. feel so dumb right now. <laughs> it's okay. I mean. Look, memories of faulty <laughs> thing. It's never perfect. Anyhow, it's yeah. It's it, it's one of those really interesting things where, again, it, it's like a shortcut for this person is not right, right? It visually implants that in your brain. Uh, of course, 
there's like a mountain of issues there, namely that there's tons of people who have a missing limb or two or several who are very much people and not remotely close to a monster. Right. And when all of your media uses disabled people as shorthand for mm-hmm. villains, you're going to start reviewing disabled people as shifty or not right. Um, as opposed to hey, just a person who uses a wheelchair or just a person who uses a cane or just a person who, you know, uses a dog to get around or even like less visible ones. Right. It, mental illness is scary because we've taught so many times that it's terrifying. Right. You never know what they're going to do. And really mental mentally ill people are more in danger of getting violently attacked right. than less. And so it's interesting. I'm going to posit the same question I posited on the same one or on the last uh, portion of this is how are ways like what are good examples of characters or uh, games or films or whatever that push back on these sorts of tropes within media? Um, There's a book called uh, sufficiently Mm -hmm. advanced magic. Um, and the main character is, uh, he is, he is so uh, amazing. It's just so good. Breaks so many things. Like one, he doesn't know if he's straight. He doesn't know. He, he, he's like, he's never really had like a crush and then he gets a crush and it happens to be on another male and but he doesn't know if it's a crush and he's trying to figure out, you know, where do I stand with sexuality? And in this world, there is no norm for sexuality. Being straight or not is 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 doesn't matter. It's like who you ever you fall in love with, you fall in love with. And for me, I was like, this is so refreshing. Oh, my God, this is so refreshing. <laughs> and just like the like and it sticks to it, like to pretty much a T where there is no bias against this. And there is no expectation, which I thought was really, really cool. I, I'm thinking about, um, I think The Witcher has a great supplement about disability. Um, so you mm. can play disabled characters with, um, you know, padded braces, uh, like not bracers, mm-hmm. braces for legs or arms. Um, and there's uh, sort, it's all sorts of sub stuff. Uh, the creator of the combat wheelchair for D&D, which is an unofficial supplement, uh, Mustang Art on Twitter is a fantastic, fantastic writer and a fantastic designer of a lot of disability aids that don't necessarily villainize the people using them in several games. Uh, but The Witcher 1 was also made by them uh, or in, in concert with them, but it's official, which is really cool uh, because I want that's what I want to see more of. Right. I want to see support for like depiction of disabled people so they can be the heroes. Right. Um, more than I want to see the denormalization of, of disabled villains. Don't get me wrong. I want to see that too, but I think the first and foremost aspect of any form of attacking back is attacking back offense, right. not defense. So instead of if your choice is between adding and removing, I choose adding personally um, because that way you're already getting more depictions that go against the difficulty is when that leans into the, this one is not like the other one. So you've got to add a right. lot to balance it out. Mm-hmm. It's, it's better when you do both. When it comes to games in general, I'm seeing it slowly change towards 
Just make it narrative. Just make it narrative and let the player figure out how they want to depict it. I like both options. I like the mechanics option, but I like not right now. I'm playing um, a game of, of Mage the Ascension. It's a hack, mm-hmm. fifth edition, because there's no fifth edition version of Mage on the Roll Fort network. Um, Roll Fort channel, I should say, not network. If you go there, you can see me playing a game, character named Riyadh Hassan who uses a cane. The GM has never told me how to use that cane. Only the only thing that's me- uh, mechanics about it is if I choose to use it as a weapon, it ta- does this much damage. Mm-hmm. That's something we decided together because we wanted to know if it was reinforced or not. I decided Riyadh is a is a mage who's a bit of a protector of the area, to put it shortly. So he would have a reinforced cane that's designed to hurt as much as it's designed mm-hmm. to hurt. That is it. Uh, everything else, how that cane plays into it, how it doesn't, is determined by me. There's no negative effects. There's no positive effects other than the fact that I carry, I guess, a weapon. But so does everyone else in the game. Mm-hmm. I, I like that because I get to decide how much I need to rely upon it and how much I want to talk about it at any given moment. Whereas mechanics-wise, you're forced to interact with it, no matter what. That said, mechanics-wise is great because it encourages people to think outside the box. Disabled people have been representing themselves in games for literal right. generations. But non-disabled people don't think about it because that's not their perspective putting it in mechanics like you're doing in Witcher, like you're seeing um, homemade uh, sort of homebrew for D&D, doing that has the brilliant effect of making people think outside the box and making people consider playing those characters. I think in a card or board game, though, it's different. All you need to do is depict right. them. That's it. Mm-hmm. And that's something I wish I saw more of in in, uh, in strategy games and card games and board games. Yeah. The the last sort of trope here on the, the list is the gender and sexuality one, right? Uh, when I think about this, the first thing that comes to mind is, I don't know if you're familiar with him or not, but the comedian James Adomian's stand-up bit where he's talking about gay villains, and it's specifically the sheriff of Nottingham, and how he's this very over-the-top gay character, right, um, in in media. And that's kind of like what you think of when you think of like the gay villain, right? Um, Sage, I know we talked about this a little bit on our, our last episode, but when we, we talk about it, what are those tropes and where do we see them in, you know, generally? Oh, man, I think, yeah, I think... <laughs> It's just the the queer coding of characters in general and then particular and particularly in villains, which I mean, like the which is kind of funny. The first thing I think of is uh, in Powerpuff Girls. Is it him who is like this devilish character who is very obviously like meant to be like very, very flamboyant and very queer. And I just like in like the sort of uh, the recreation of that in stories it's just especially in like in child like in childhood like cartoons is just so incredibly prevalent and when we talk about it maybe in the context of let's say like uh magic the gathering right what are some of those examples i know higher um you know, as our reg- resident magic expert, right? Um, what are some of the <laughs> examples possibly in Magic the Gathering of 
you know, we this is Magic the Gathering channel. I have to tie it back somehow, right? Um, <laughs> what are maybe some of the examples in Magic? Sure. Um, oh man, there's there's not very many. <laughs> uh, um, you know, if you look at Magic cards and you look at like what um, we think of when we think of certain like types, so. When you look at, uh, there's, we're actually, it's a color wheel, right? We have black, blue, green, red, white. Um, typically black is all demons and vampires, right? It's all demons and vampires. There, and like, there are vampires. I'm not saying there's not, right? But there's a lot more. There's a horrors. There's all the dark, scary stuff, right? And, um, and white. <laughs> oh, man. White has all the, the happy, light, fairy stuff, which is great. And there's, community there's, there's angels. and angels, yeah. And angels, right? And righteousness. Um, it also, also tons right, of positive and depicted humans. <laughs> yeah. Yes, all the humans are positive. Uh, uh, and what makes it, like, really, I don't know, tough for me. So when I think of, like, um, I, I, I think I, I've already used this word already, so I'm going to use it, but I'm using it again. So when I think of, like, the, like the heteronormative... Uh, uh, state of magic. Um, I, it's hard for me to like find more things that talks more more about um, like uh, around anything LGBTQ. Honestly, like I don't see very much of that in the in in magic. And when especially when you have cards like uh, Crusade mm-hmm. that exists in white, uh, <laughs> like you know, and stuff like that. It's there. There wasn't there wasn't the intention to have this kind of conversation about magic design and magic card names and what they, what they mean for not only in the game, but outside of the game. Um, but I do see that there, what there, there was a lot of stance on like what, what prejudices literally like invoke prejudice, right? Uh, the, um, you know, and, and the banning of those cards and where, where wizard stands in that regard. But there's, there's still a lot to unpack. There's so many cards that can be like taken this way. A lot of, really dark stuff um and if you look at the card art specifically for a lot of cards um there's a card mm-hmm. called earthbind mm. mm-hmm. and right the art for earthbind's crazy like in in every sense of that word like and and it, for me it's it's really it's really tough because even looking at um the art for you know just so many cards and like oh wow like this game is definitely meant for 13 plus right. like at least uh, and what that means for us, and then trying to unpack some of the um, more sensitive material. And if you if you're if you're really trying to do that, I feel like you're just gonna have a hard time, honestly. Uh, um, I don't believe I don't believe yeah I don't believe magic has the capacity to to really to really um, undo a lot of the the um, positions it's put out. But I do believe that they have they can do a lot to to change it in the future. Um, for those of you who don't know, Earthbind, uh, the art for that card, it fi- it features this like pixie like woman who she's basically just wearing some pasties, and you see her in profile and like her body from the side, and she is like being bound by like what looks like vines and stuff at her at her legs and her wrists and at her throat, and she's like naked, covered in mud, and. <laughs> Yeah, being bound to the earth. Yeah. I guess that depicts the... How many times are you going to fight a naked pixie in magic? Doesn't seem like it's to come. Yeah. (laughs) 
Mm. <laughs> uh, I'm thinking of like Kaladesh right now. Um, Cause there was a, mm-hmm. a woman of color on the box, just doing artificer things. And Kaladesh is a very artificer sort of uh, heavy looking um, pack. Uh, Kaladesh in general, it's very Brown, right. which I appreciated. But, like they advertised specifically a brown woman. She's not depicted in any harmful way. She's just making magic like people in Kaladesh do. And I, I do see a little bit of positive improvement in that area. It, it's just, it's right. not enough mm-hmm. um, because it takes a lot of active reinforcement to get rid of passive right. harm. Well, mm-hmm. and there's, and again, like spicy eight rack has done videos on this where you talk about like the, old magic lore and if you look at old magic lore old mtg lore is fucked up like the heroes of magic were not good people um which is like to some extent an interesting way of like handling it to some extent where you aren't having clear-cut heroes, but, like, Urza's a piece of shit, right? Like, we can all agree. Urza's oh, just yeah. a terrible person. Um, it's just, it's interesting to, because we talked about specifically with around, like, queer characters last week, where, um, you know, or last week, last month, um, you have characters like Hianos and Tiro, right? Um, who just exist, um, but there's not a ton of them, you know, like what, what there was, what was it we talked about where it was, they specifically took out the Chandra Vivi, Vivi not Vivian, Chandra Nissa uh, romance Nissa. out of the novelization, romance. um, of war of the spark. And, uh, it's interesting because there's still a lot of to go in that regard. Um, but as far as like gaming in general, Uh, outside of that like obviously there's a lot to to a lot of progress to make in that regard um but where is it at do you feel like in rpgs norton perhaps that's a loaded question but (laughs) real real quick before we before we change i do want to talk a little bit about teferi specifically oh yeah um and like for me for me seeing teferi was awesome i was like oh teferi's dope like we got this this black planeswalker doing cool things super excited and then to see like uh like the you know some of the the secret layer Mm -hmm. uh and seeing like oh like look at this like this this embrace is all beautiful it's great i need that for everyone else Mm-hmm. you know what i mean that's that's that for me that was a big step forward like i need that but i need i need to see as much i just want to just want to know but if they owe idris elba like a lot of money for their depiction of the fairy <laughs> the most. because i'm pretty the sure most. they just all were the like yeah, idris elba is who we're gonna base this character off of it is absurd <laughs> um well, and it's interesting too. It's like getting into Teferi. Teferi, out of the Weatherlight crew, is the most most principled. True, is okay. Uh, has Jura's fine. Jura's a little self interested, 
Um, but I think she's red. You know, it's I a think, new character. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> I mean, but the fact that... What does that mean? (laughs) Uh, But the fact that Teferi, like, it's this really principled, like, very kind of, like, classically, I think I would describe Teferi as, like, very classically, like, neutral good Mm -hmm. character, but, and he has, like, a lot of interesting, like, he has a lot of interesting story, but it's also... The fact that any other, like, characters of color, like, they just get put into this, like, neutral good category because we're, like, Wizards is also afraid to show characters of color with dimension um, or being, like, having them being flawed, which is a whole other thing of, like, trying to lean way too far to the other side where now all the characters of color are depicted as these, like generically good people. And you're like, well, that's nice that they're getting good depictions, but that's also, like putting into like making another default box I will say to put people Kyle into. was originally and still to some extent is introduced as like a, an anti-hero she's not a great person you know what I mean like she's certainly I like Kaya Kaya's, Kaya's really cool certainly very self-interested um and yes. doesn't really want to be, if, especially if you read the comics. She's not very thrilled that she's the Orzov Guildmaster either. She does not want to have that position. Um, but anyway, that's that's its own discussion. Can I ask for repetition? Uh, oh, uh, <laughs> as far as where like uh, like queer representation and specifically like the tropes used around them where that stands in gaming and if it's in moving in a positive direction or where where it's kind of at oh okay um so there's there's it's really difficult in tabletop because what's determined by the book is really the antagonists right the protagonists for the most part, you, you're supposed to make your own. Some games have pregens, but also with pregens, you really don't want to make like two pregen PCs in love with each other right off before the players even get to see them, because that's a <laughs> lot to force someone to depict. Uh, and, you know, writing sexuality on a pregen right. feels weird. So you have um, some like villain queer bias there because it's always going to be somewhat of a bias because a lot of the antagonists are being depicted in the book not necessarily the protagonists can you have side characters who are positive and friendly also being depicted as queer yes and we're seeing a bit more of that but really where a lot of the the, if i were to say queer phobia a lot of the queer phobia comes in tabletop writing is that the villains get depicted as overly flamboyant breakers of the typical so Rather than being depicted as queer, they carry queer tropes, even though they themselves maybe are perfectly straight or maybe don't experience uh, or worse are ace. Um, but they they. Uh, oh, God, how do I, you know, I'm, I'm just going to put it this way. One of the main symbols of queer resilience and queer fighting back is the art mm-hmm. of drag. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. A lot of villains bad people, not good people fighting for more rights or fighting not to get stoned 
good people, bad people are depicted as basically drag versions of themselves or even drag versions of mm-hmm. the characters. And it's that reason why you actually see a lot of queer people identify with mm-hmm. villains because yeah. we're made to see ourselves in them. Like Ursula, who's a major villain of the little mermaid is both like color darker and also purposefully her, her like her actual face is taken from a drag mm-hmm. queen called divine. Mm-hmm. So she's literally a drag right. character and she's depicted as darker skin color than divine was uh, in real life. To make it even further implanted in your head that she is a villain. So instead, a lot of queer brown and black people see themselves in Ursula. Because she's kind of bodily taken from our community. She's kind of depicted. Her depiction is is taken from parts of our community. Had villainy thrown over top of her and is just shoved in there to be depicted as some breaker of of the normativity that the Little Mermaid seeks to Mm -hmm. perpetrate. Uh, that that's a big heavy sentence even for my own brain um basically queer rebels to being depicted as villains that's a yeah. thing. huge thing uh positive it's rarer you're getting a little bit of it in magic now um where some of the side characters have you know husbands and they are men or wives and they are women you get it uh there's, there's a really fascinating I don't know if you've all heard of the MMORPG. RuneScape. I am aware of RuneScape. I played that oh, when I yes. was in junior high. <laughs> Never played, so, but I'm 15 aware. years ago. <laughs> a couple years. Uh, level 99 magic, just saying. Uh, so, a couple of years ago, there was, uh, you go to the elf homeland of Tardadad. I'm going to say that right. And you meet this character who, it's not done in the best way. It's a bit clunky, but basically, she's, she's trans. It's explicitly mentioned in the text. And, and you find her, it's awful. You find her journal, mm-hmm. I think. Is that how, that's how you learn it? Because she doesn't tell you. Uh, but you learn through the journal that she's trans because elves are, are shapeshifters. She was born one way. She decided elves in the land are shapeshifters. No, when they left it, they no longer are shapeshifters. But mm. she decides to shapeshift into someone that really represented her and therefore underwent like a transition, that. a physical transition. It's... It's a loaded thing, especially when she's probably the only trans character can think mm-hmm. of in RuneScape. But we're starting to see people try, right? And I'm not the person who's going to say this is good or this is bad, especially because I am a cisgendered man. And therefore, I never right. had to struggle with that. But people are trying and that's good. It's better than not trying. Because I will say that. It's better than not trying. And it's better than if like they made this one character had you discover that she's trans and then turned her to, right. to a villain. Instead, she's just a random friendly helping NPC. She's not even in the grand scheme of things. A lot of people won't talk to her, which I think is not the mm-hmm. best thing, but there's a lot less harm is being done because at least right. people are trying. Yeah. Um, all of it though, it's we're going through a period of change, which means that we're going to see some bad depictions and some good depictions. We're going to see some bad examples still coming up to this day and some good examples. And it's going to be rough Mm -hmm. going for a while, which I know isn't fair. And speaking as a man who's a disabled queer person of color, it's it's really not fair, but it's, it's like breaking a bone. It hurts before it heals as it heals. We're Mm -hmm. going through healing. 
the plus side is though better we go through it better reset that bone mm-hmm. or not you know yeah and and yeah and healing is never a linear progression as much as we want it to be mm-hmm. it's you get to go forward and then you have good days and then then you go backwards and you have a couple you know the neighbor of patches but then you keep healing and yeah, yeah pushing for that advocacy and that representation oh, no. somebody who's non-binary and tends to lean towards like the trans non-binary like spectrum of things like i i just want more of it because you don't see it Mm -hmm. right i can i can think of the only immediate thing i could really think of with trans characters is the first thing that comes to mind is alesha from magic and that's because we've been talking about it recently um and i think the only other character and i only vaguely know of it is like a friend on what's that Zendaya HBO show? Um, there is a friend of hers in that show um, that's trans. And it's like a queer, it, it's like no a central idea. part of the story. But that's like the only thing that I can really think of. And those are things that are not, I you know what? I take that back. Um, one of the characters in uh, the um sabrina the teenage witch the like netflix show was trans character i forgot um and that um that actor actually advocated and pushed so hard to have their journey as a trans person like done well and like they worked with the writers and the and the director and everything and pushed for that story and i loved that I wish they weren't like this throwaway character. I <laughs> I stopped watching that <laughs> show after great. the first season because it, it's the same thing it's with Riverdale. It's so bad. It's just as bad as Riverdale. It just kind of goes in a different direction. I, I will say I am glad <sighs> that in season two, you know, his transition is he's right. transitioned and his storyline changes. I do appreciate right. that about him. I don't know if I appreciate much else about him. <laughs> Oh my god, I could go on a whole I, ass rant about that show. I'm, I love the aesthetic. I do too. I just it's love so the aesthetic. Beautiful. I'll say the that. casting, I think so of uh, great eye like, candy. It's very, very it looks great, but I don't know. There's a, it's it's the same team who does Riverdale, and there's things with Riverdale too where I just look at that show and I'm just like, what is this is a fever dream. Like, what is happening right now? Y'all that 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 show had a Whole like whole last flip after season one. It was like, you know what? We're going to decide to be something entirely different. And I don't know if you like it or not, but <laughs> it is here now. <laughs> Remember how we spent a whole season? It, it, sure, it was a half season, really, but a whole season just talking about one big storyline. Yeah. How about five yeah. instead? Yeah. Uh, it just, man, both of those shows just blow me away. But and they're written by the guy who wrote the graphic novels, and they're like, "Yeah, make a show," and it's not turn out well. No. <laughs> this some people can't uh, do both. Yes, some, and that's and that's yeah. okay. <laughs> but yeah, um, <laughs> so kind of looking here as we move forward is what are things that we can do. Um, oh wait, hi, are you muted if you're trying to say something? Okay. Okay. But what are what are things that we could do about these things, right? We've talked about a lot of the progress that's made, but like if me as a white person, I'm trying to sit down and I'm trying to make a game, uh, what is something I can do? 
to try and, you know, be more, be more inclusive in what I'm, I'm doing. Oh, nothing. You can't keep up anymore. There's no point in trying. Um, <laughs> why even like give an effort? Really? It's just the universe's fault. Why don't you just flip a table and walk away? <laughs> I felt like being the internet for a second there. I'm sorry. It, it, it comes out. <laughs> Um, but I mean, particularly Norton, you as a sensitivity editor for Muslim cultures and everything like you like are, have a very important job, I think, in this uh, changing industry of gaming and writing. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Uh, yeah. OK, so sensitivity editor, for those who are unaware, especially because I feel like if you're not really aware of how a tabletop RPG gets made, you may not. Uh, I go in, I read a script. And then this is all sensitivity feeling to the most part. I read a whole book, usually after it's completed. Sometimes not, but I'll get to that later. Usually after it's completed, then I say, this is, this needs fixing. This needs fixing. This needs fixing. Sometimes if I can, I offer suggestions. Other times I'm just doing minor edits. Like don't use this word or this sentence. Just, just get rid of it. It's like an editor, but I'm focusing hyper, uh, hyper focusing on specific cultural representations and often ableism. So it's punch too. up for, um, you know, making sure you're not being racist, basically. Somewhat. Yeah. The thing is, though, you don't have to use any of it. Oh, cool. <clears throat> Every mm. contract I've ever had says you don't have to use any of it. To yeah. be fair, for for the I think the biggest contract I ever did was uh, for Cobalt Press's South into the Southlands, Southlands, mm -hmm. um, where they I, I think I read two, three chapters and did some art consulting as well. And according to um, the person editing, every single, every single edit went through. Um, that person, by the way, Victoria Rogers, uh, hosts the Broadswords. Very, very cool person. But that is like a rarity. <laughs> um, unfortunately, the truth is some people want to see us as kind of like a check mark, like, like we're like with a Twitter verified check mark. Mm. They want to just fill out a form, get us to look everything over, click the box that says yes, walk away. And that's an it's an imperfect system that the system exists, allowing them to think that. Right. Mm -hmm. The other options, though, uh, get someone from the ground up, get a person who's like a project lead with you, who knows the issues and cultures of which you mm -hmm. want to speak of or has a very diverse mindset from you. Um, someone. Not your opposite necessarily, because I don't think people have opposites, but someone who is very different from you, who has a very different lived experience, because that way you're already fighting from two different perspectives instead of one. Hire writers of those of those cultures or of those backgrounds, hire disabled writers and queer writers and women writers um, and editors. Involve us in every step of the process. You're more likely to get a project that doesn't need to be fixed at the right. end. I mean, that's the big thing about sensitivity editing. I'm here to clean up a mess. Wouldn't we rather there not be a mess? And like, don't get me wrong. Yeah, there's going to be a mess. There always is. Someone's going to have to come clean it up. But I'll, uh, you know, even though it's less work for me, having someone pay me for one hour because that's all they really need rather than seven. It's pretty damn good, especially because there's like, I have to do a lot of work at seven right. hours and one hour. If, if it turns out this, by the way, that's a decision I get to make, not you. Hire me for like a max amount of hours. If I say less, because I often will, we do less. But if it turns out that I only need to work an hour on your project and I tell you that, that's right. a good thing. 
And I want to see more of that happen where I feel like, yeah, maybe this, there, maybe there's some issues here and there. I can help clean that up, but I'm not making massive edits and I'm not telling you rearrange this paragraph because God, you put the racism first and I'm not having to s- sit there on a table with a keyboard in my hand thinking, how do I fix this in 25 words or less? How do I fix these mm. entire two paragraphs mm-hmm. in 25 words or less? So yes, get a sensitivity editor. Get a sensitivity editor. You're always going to need one. But if you're starting out on a project, there are things you can do to make it even better from the get-go. So someone like me is not giving you a pained smile while they recite your flaws. Because I know you don't want that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And obviously having the conversation helps, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think that goes like without saying, but I think the the biggest, I don't know, the biggest walkway as, as someone who serves on a, a DEI committee for a very large organization. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing that I talk a lot about, cause there's a, I think that the, the normal HR response is, Oh, we need to take cultural uh, competency mm-hmm. trainings. Like, that's like a big thing. Like we need to do cultural content and everyone will be fine. Everyone will understand. We'll be good. And but I think the biggest thing is cultural humility. I think it's a huge thing that I talked a lot about, especially with um, everything that happened over the past two years. Um, yes, you can understand as much as you can try to understand with other cultures, but you not being a part of that culture is the biggest barrier to you. So you have to be accepting of the conversation and letting the people of the culture you're trying to learn about tell you what they need or what, how they want to be presented um, rather than you assuming because you took a, you know, I took, I took a course on black people once and now I know everything about black people. Like that's not quite how that, that translates. You know the one course on and, black people that every person. Oh my gosh. You know, that one course, right? That was uh, ethnic studies over... in uh, community college. Oh no. Someone right? used that. I heard there's a skill share course for yes, it. You know, like, <laughs> I took a master class. It was taught by, you know, it was just like, you know, it's just it, that we got so many people who would do that, who would say like, oh, you know, well, well, I, I, I went to college at, at, at Berkeley and it's right next to Oakland. So, you know, obviously, no, not Bay obviously, area. like, like, <laughs> yeah, right. Like relax. Like, you know, it's, it's so, it's so important. So for, and if you utilize that perspective in terms of writing, in terms of what can I do, what can we do? having these conversations, being okay with being uncomfortable because a lot of the time you mm-hmm. will be, and that's okay because we work as humans, we evolve really well in being uncomfortable spaces. So, you know, right. let's learn as much as we can and then support the writers who are taking those steps to break traditional norms in writing and, and, and what tropes we currently see, because that's ultimately what's going to be the biggest <laughs> thing. Bless you, bud. What's, what's going to make the biggest change in my mind? You're so is, cute. Uh, it, it's painful. Um, it, <laughs> you are so wholesome. <laughs> <laughs> um, like I, 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 yeah. I vote with my dollar. That's a, that's a big thing. It's like, you know, I, I spend money to actively support creators. I believe in who do a lot of content creation that are currently, you know, out in the world. Like that's probably why Sage feels like they, that I'm stalking them. Like that's, and I wish I had that problem. You, you know, like Callahan, I'm, I'm subscribed to everything you put out. I don't know what you're talking about. Like you are like, like, like it's, it's just, if you are promoting content 
if you're promoting content that mm-hmm. is accessible to everyone in the most deepest regards, then I'm going to support you. Like that's just going to be the way it is. And, um, and that's just because that's the wor- people, those, that's the world I wish to be in. Um, and, and that's mm-hmm. the kind of rules that I live by. Um, and I think that is more impactful than it. Yeah. Else. And I think with that, like, especially with, with content and content creators and then this world that we live in where so many independent creators can, um, produce the content that they want to see that they don't feel like is being shown in the mainstream. I think for people who, if you don't have the financial means to contribute to Patreons or Kofi's or whatever, just talking about that content and showing it and, you know, sharing it with your friends and posting about it, like that really does do a lot. Um, because it gets other people involved and it helps create communities around people who want to make inclusive and, um, yeah, content. something, something, please okay. share this video because our tier list video got <laughs> like so subscribe. many more views than our Nico's Angel episode and it killed me. <laughs> Can we talk about that for a second though? Cause like, yes, half the time it's people are like, what can I do? And I'm like, do you like it? They say, yeah. Tell people you like about it. Because if you like it and they like you, chances yeah. are they'll like it too. Right? I, why it's do I so weird because perhaps, <laughs> perhaps this is the ADHD in me. Uh, but anytime I'm like interested in something, I'm like, oh my God, have you heard this thing? Have you seen this video? Have you watched this? And I'm just like, Sage can tell you this as as my as a good friend of mine. Like anytime I see something even mildly interesting or funny, I'm immediately like, oh, my God, you have to watch this. Um, But yeah, seriously, that's a really good Mm -hmm. point. Like share the content and get it out there and suggest it to people. Especially when it comes to these indie people who have lesser Mm -hmm. reach. Mm -hmm. Look, you can try and rent out a billboard inside the highway as much as you like, but you're going to get beaten out by underwear ads. You all know this. So you've got to find other methods. And those other methods are usually the people who already like your work talking about it. If you like a podcast, leave a review. If you like a stream, tell your friends about it when they're asking for streams based in, I don't know, D&D or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. The more you do that, the more people will view us. And honestly, that's where money comes from. More eyes equals more money and more money means we can do more things. That said, there is another aspect of this and it's also demanding Mm -hmm. more because the smaller people i some of my friends are going to get very angry when i say this um but i think a a lot of them will also understand smaller people alone can't change the world right because we don't determine culture we we affect culture and we shift it but that's different from turning it right because that's how big discussions happen when i was mentioning that trans character in runescape all over Reddit, all over the RuneScape forums, people were complaining about it. We started some very uncomfortable conversations, but conversations that probably needed to be had. It's especially in the game where early on, there is a quest that changes dramatically if you change gender and your person who loves you will maybe choose not to marry you because you've changed gender since, which is a rough thing, right? Like these are discussions mm-hmm. we need to have in order to make better content and in order to change culture effectively so that we're no longer sitting here having to have these conversations over and over again. You're only going to get that by demanding it from the bigger groups. It isn't, if you don't like this, why are you even talking about it? It's if you don't like this because of these reasons, why aren't you saying something? Because chances are they might want to fix it. 
the more you do that, the more it also emboldens smaller creators who see a need, a demand, and are like, yes, I have the thing for you. And that will allow them to turn that thing into a thing you can play. Like, I can't speak for other creators, but I will say that the reason why the combat wheelchair exists is because there was a need mm -hmm. for a combat wheelchair. That's just a mm -hmm. fact. Right? Someone saw a need. Someone filled it. If there is a need, if you're loud enough, people will find that need and they will fill it. Uh, that's all you really like. That's well, the best I mean, thing and it comes for. comes to I mean, like, here's a great example, like to, to let's put this about like worker rights, right, for a second. Like, mm -hmm. why do unionization protests work so well? It's because you literally just you are you won't shut up about it. And you push it in their face and you say you have to deal with this or you don't get to do your thing anymore. And or or you don't get to extract right. labor from us. And, and there's <laughs> like there, there are reasons why last year Black Lives Matter protests are happening. And we I don't know that there was as much change as I would have liked to see, but certainly mm -hmm. some things happened because as a result of that and. There is a reason why not shutting up and being loud and it's, it's what I'm saying coming through. Being yeah. disruptive. It's, does that make any sense whatsoever? Yeah, yes. I mean, there, I, I, like when you refer to like certain things, like it's like re referring to Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. like the biggest thing we want is legislation, right? That's like the biggest thing. Not Nothing was really done in terms of le legislation, but in terms of, oh, hey, this is actually happening, being a normal conversation. Like, oh yeah, black people, they do get shot mm -hmm. by police. That that does happen. Like it was no longer a myth. This was no longer a, 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 a radical idea thought of in 90s rap songs. Like, you know what I mean? Like it was, mm -hmm. it was like, oh, this is real. This is, mm -hmm. this is actually happening. I think that was very transformative. Um, what that means for the future, I'm not sure of. Um, but I think, yeah, right. that talking, right? Having that effect of let's, let's have this conversation in terms of, of um, creating substantial change. And, you know, Norton was talking about how, you know, as small creators, it's hard for us individually to do a thing alone and make huge systematic changes. But as a group, as a collective, you know, we can do a lot. There's a lot of power, there's power in numbers. Um, and creating that conversation to be, we want more, we demand more content that looks like this because that's where we're going to put our money and that's ultimately what you want big corporation uh so create more content like this create more uh you know consumable media that we can enjoy that looks like this is, i think is, i said this I in our last episode where um dear big corporations heads up diversity in your content is real profitable just a heads up uh if you haven't figured that out yet if if we want to this is this is how I've said this, too, is it's like, listen, if we're trying to market diversity to big corporations, it's just like, OK, well, it pays for would people see themselves in the media that they they consume and the media that they interact with? They want to engage with that. Like tomorrow, if you like, don't ask me uh, if I own copies of uh, Nico Aris 
physical copies of it because you know I do, right? It's it's those are the type of things that I feel like it's very easy to man, I feel like I'm going nowhere with this. When you're yelling about it, and it, it makes a lot of sense that the money will follow. So this is there's one thing that really does need to be added to this conversation, and it's um, it's not a trope, uh, but it is a and we saw this all over Twitter, after, you know, after a, uh, a certain amount of time that can be determined by how popular a thing is, suddenly people people mm-hmm. in the majority stop talking about it. And in, in the case of Black Lives Matter and it didn't stop Asian hate, if I remember correctly, you saw people, white people. Um, but also some people not part of those groups as well say stuff like, oh God, it just, it's on and on. I'm so yep. tired. And here's the thing I understand and relate because this is my <laughs> life. But at the same time, um, this is my life. I don't get to stop. To put that in a friendlier way, you need to take lessons from the people around you who have been fighting this longer than you have. You need to learn that it's about longevity as much as it is about uh, loudness. You can't let the conversation dip. So you take it in waves, right? People, you have different people talking right now, different people talking tomorrow, but they're all saying the same thing. And the people who were talking yesterday will start speaking up again. Give yourself, you know, that idea that this is a marathon, not a sprint, because things will not change tomorrow even as we are healing, you've got to take it day by day. You've got to push forward. If you need to take a step back, you take a step back with the intention that you return, write it down on a piece of paper. It is not just speaking up when the right. issue is popular. It is speaking up every moment. Um, I'm a Twitch streamer <laughs> right now. And you know what? This is going to come out after this conversation is recorded, but I'm assuring you it's still happening right now. A lot of people of color are being raided, especially black people, Mm -hmm. especially um, queer people as well, who use the LGBTQ tag. For the most Mm -hmm. part, if you're using both those tags, you're kind of fucked. Sorry, I didn't know if I was going to say that. You're kind of. Yeah, Yeah, you're kind of fucked. Twitch has sued two people, um, but there's more two people at work and people are still being hate rated or doxxed mm-hmm. or worse. And people are not talking about it on Twitter. I mean, don't get me wrong. The people affected by it are still talking about it on Twitter. We haven't stopped. I've been following right? you on Twitter talking um, about this specifically for weeks. I didn't yeah. know about it. Yeah. You don't stop. Exactly. Cause you're not right. going to know about every issue, but the more people talk about an issue, the better it is. And the more they continue talking about it, it can't just be us who are the most affected doing the talking right. all the time. Retweet it whenever you see it. Speak about it whenever you see it. Even when you don't see it, ask yourself, wait, what happened to this issue? Look up what's happened and then mm-hmm. speak up again. Take the time out of your day to do more research. Take the time out of your day to do more fighting and schedule it. That's actually a big thing. Sure, I retweet a bunch That's of stuff all point. of the course of the day, but like, if you look at big activists, shit was right. scheduled. There's a reason for that. And you don't schedule it one week and then not the next week. You schedule every week. We need to take more lessons from the people who spearheaded all right. these campaigns. Um, in the West, 
in North America, in the US and Canada, a lot of those folks were black. We need to take lessons from them and learn from them so we don't have to relearn the same lessons that they already learned. Right. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise we're going to have this issue of issues perpetually only being talked about for about a week or two weeks before it no longer matters to the majority. And that means nothing mm-hmm. has to change. You have companies saying instead of doing anything, we'll knuckle down, be quiet, come mm-hmm. back when it's over. You don't want that. Oh, capitalism. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> I feel like I've talked a no, lot. No, so it was sorry. really good. <laughs> no, you are it super was really good. good. And uh, honestly, it's been a pleasure having both of you guys and um, like really good conversation. And I really appreciate both of your perspectives on this. Um, as we head out, um, like I said, hire you do the late nights podcast. And where can people find you online and support you and uh, what you are doing out there? Yeah. Uh, thanks again for having me. You folks are awesome. I felt like I got enlightened, uh, and I love feeling that way after conversations. Um, uh, yeah, you can find me late nights podcast on YouTube, um, higher MTG on Twitter. And that's really where you're probably going to find me anyways. I'm really best magic takes out there. Um, but yeah, unless you don't agree with me and then the best magic magic takes out. And then they're the absolute worst. And unless you don't like <laughs> Void Winnower, and then they're the worst, I swear. Um, uh, yeah, and honestly, like, I, um, in regards to, like, you know, this kind of stuff, I am just so happy to, like, support this kind of content. Um, really, really glad to see conversations like these happening. Hopefully to, you know, this will sprout more ideas and more more content like this yeah. um, because I think it's desperate. Absolutely. Needed, Always so. a pleasure, Hyde. You were one of my favorite CEDH folk out there. Um, and Norden, uh, like you said, uh, you're on Twitter at Werewolf Feels. Uh, but where are you? You're on Twitch. Uh, what are other places that people can find you, support you, and help out what you're doing? Well, okay. Three, three social medias that I'm technically on. I've got Twitter and Twitch, Werewolf Feels. I've got Instagram. But really, if you're doing that, you're doing it to follow pictures of my dog. <laughs> Just being frank, and they're going to be very, very important sporadic. content. <laughs> it's, very, it's very important content once a month to get a picture of Henry, and that's it. Uh, I love that your dog's name is Henry. Uh, that's beautiful. I did not choose the name. Uh, he was almost King Henry until I was like, no, that reminds me of the eight, and I don't <laughs> want that. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, I also write, uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see these updates. But if you actually go on my Twitter and you click the link uh, in the website, nordenleakdeer.card.co, card with two R's. Uh, you'll see a link to most of the projects that I've worked on. I have to update the list consistently, and I try to. Um, but there's a long, long list of stuff you can see me in, whether it's stuff like this, where we're just talking about issues, whether it's me playing a tabletop game as best as I can uh, and having a lot of fun doing it, or it's me writing or sensitivity reading for something. That's where you can find the laundry list if you really want it. Uh, and if not, do do me some homework. If you, if you don't want to follow me, follow some other person uh-huh. talking about these issues today. Anyone. Just find them. It's Do the homework. You'll probably follow more than one. That's probably good. And listen to what they have to say. Part of life is learning yeah. every day. 
I'm going to so encourage start- people to follow you on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. It's a good, it's a, it's a good follow. Um, but yeah, that about wraps things up for us here today on Nico's Angels. Uh, I appreciate you guys having this conversation with us. I, I, it's a it's a hard conversation to have, uh, especially as somebody who's very white. Um, but I, it, it's very important, and I think these conversations are. We've we've talked about this a ton, but I think that the more we have these conversations, and the more that if you have a platform. Uh, and the the whole reason for doing these right is to encourage other people who have platforms bigger than us or of similar sizes of us use your platform. Uh, you have it for a reason, and use it for what you can. Um, and that's that's always been something I've wanted to do here. So I'm glad we get to do that, and thank you guys for joining us for that. But uh, if you want to follow the Sculpty Boys on Twitter. Uh, you could follow us on Twitter at Sculpty Boys, B-O-I-S, or you can find a direct link in our link tree in the description below. Sage, where can they follow you and all the stuff you're doing with, uh, which, by the way, we should probably talk about the project we're working on, the joint venture between the Venture Maidens and the, yeah. the Mind Sculptor, shouldn't we? Um Yes, I, I talked about it a little bit uh, in yeah. our set review, but if you want to go ahead and really kind of explain what we're doing, go for it. Yeah, so I am a professional storyteller and TTRPG writer, um, and so I am very excited to be doing a Theros-based campaign with some um, with with uh, Charles and Callahan here of the Mind Sculptors, also with uh, Clayby, Clayby MTG, CNC Power, and and. Yes, of CNC Power Hour and Lenny Woolley, who is a writer on Star City. Lenny also Games? writes on EDA Trek. Yeah, EDA Trek. There we go. Um, yeah, they. Uh, he he writes you know articles about. Um, yeah, about about magic and commander and stuff like that. And so we are going to have our first game on October fourth. Yes, on October 4th at 6.30 p.m. PT on the Venture Maidens Twitch channel. And then the VODs will be uploaded to the Mind Sculptors. And so they're excited to be playing with some some real cool cats of the MTG community to come together and play some heckin' D&D. Do you want, to, do you want a- to reveal what the name is for this? Oh, yeah. So our campaign name is Path and Prophecy. And our first arc is titled The Slithering Stars. And I'm so excited to read the opening scene. I'm very excited for this. I'm 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 excited to role play my character. My character is hilarious. Um, So, but uh, with that, like I said, uh, where, where can they find you on Twitter? What's your Twitter handle for us? Oh, yes. So I am at Staff of Sage and I post every week with my schedule of what uh, appearances I'm making and stuff that I'm working on. So, yeah, follow me there and you can see uh, all the stuff. Yeah. Awesome. You do. can also, if uh, you want, I believe you're in our link tree as well. So in your mox field is too. So if you want to see the text we're working on, you can check it out there. Uh, while we're at it, I also want to give an extra shout out to all of our patrons who help keep the lights on around here. If you too would like to be a patron and help support the channel and what we're doing around here, you can head on over to patreon.com forward slash the mind sculptors or check out the link in the description. Thank you all for joining us today. And from all of us here at the mind sculptors, I'm Callahan and I'm Sage. We'll see you next time. Thanks for joining us. I'm in line with the stars. I'm in sync with the earth. Ten toes deep, flower child from the turf. I never switch sides. Like, even when I die, I'm a ride for the squad. Let her ties in the hearse.
spill from my lips, feel big from the bit, take a sip till I pass out. Try and get grip, but it don't make sense. Cause you can lose life on this fast route. Yeah, turn thoughts to a cash cow. I might flip that to the glass house. I don't need the accolades, I'm in love with the chase. I just wanna eat, save a spot at the table. Beast with the slap, hit myself on the map. You long with the wind, but we knowing that it's cap. Five hour flights, couple nights at the flat. To be real, could you see me making moves while I'm at? I'm still on the grind, limit time when I chat. I'm burning down sage, keep the demons away. When I write it, give a piece of myself to the